Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of John. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you great thanks that you have redeemed us through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we were lost in the darkness, but you have found us with the marvelous light of Jesus and brought us into his kingdom. And so now, Lord, we pray that your light would shine upon us again this day. And grant us your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, we're in the midst of this, or we're beginning, I should say, this sermon series called Rooted and Growing, kind of guiding us through uh, our stewardship campaign. First, once again, thank you, Paul. Really, really well done. Wonderful job. And thanks to the uh, graphs who, who spoke last week, you guys. I, I love these temple talks. Um, and just so you know, I'm picking some of you all next. Um, you might not even know it until I call your name, so we'll see. Have something ready. Uh, but I do love these temple talks. I love this way of, of thinking about this, this life in our church and seeing the impact uh, that God has on people in this place. Now, throughout this series, one of the things that we're doing is where we're looking at the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And I told you last week that at the beginning of every sermon, we're going to read this verse together. And I told that to you, but I forgot to tell the people who make the slides. Uh, so I will read it for you today, and you do not have to read along, unless you've done your memory work and you want to go along with me right now. Uh, but next week we will have it up on the board. But again, I encourage you, be meditating on this word. Uh, again, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Meditate on it, focus on it throughout the week, and memorize it. Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, again, this sermon series is going to really kind of have two parts. The first three weeks, we're going to focus on what it means to be rooted. This language that Paul uses here, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we are at community, people rooted in the word and work of God. And then we're going to talk about in the following weeks what it means for us to be built up in that word, what it means to be growing uh, in that word. Now, last week, we talked about what it means to be rooted in the word of work of God as we talked about the work of God in creation. And we talked about how that God as our creator is God who is the giver. For God to create is for God to give. As his creatures, we are the recipients of his gifts and he gives to us all good things. We are created to be his image bearers and to share what he has given to us. He is our creator. Now this week we're going to talk about not only what it means for God to be our creator, but today we want to focus in on what it means for God to be our redeemer. And what does it mean for us as Community Lutheran Church to be rooted in the work of God in our redemption? This is exactly, I think, what Paul is getting at in that little verse from Colossians 2 when he says that Christ Jesus is our Lord. We have received Christ as our Lord. And what does it mean for Jesus to be our Lord other than that he is our Redeemer? He is the one who is our Redeemer, who has purchased us with his blood, and made us his own. We belong to him. He is our Lord and our Redeemer. I like Rachel's children's message today. What do you think of when you hear that word redemption? Or how do we talk about redeeming in our culture? We don't talk about it exactly the same way that the Bible talks about 
redemption. When we think of redeeming something, I think our minds immediately go to like coupons, right? Like you get a coupon, you take it to the grocery store and you redeem it, you bring your coupon, you bring your item, and you redeem it for a discount. Or I'm always reminded of the old pizza place, you remember the old Chuck E. Cheese, and you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you play the ski ball, and you roll the ball up and you would maybe get it in a hole and you get a bunch of tickets, you take those tickets to the counter and you would redeem them for a prize. It was a sort of transactional thing. You give something and you get something. Well, in the scriptures, redemption is talked about kind of like that. It, it, it starts to get at what the scriptures talk about, it, but there it pictures redemption in a much heavier way because it talks about it in terms of slavery and freedom. You and I, according to the scriptures, are born enslaved, slaves to sin, slaves to death, slaves to the devil. And we cannot free ourselves from this tyranny of sin, death, and the devil. We cannot do enough to set ourselves free. We cannot pay the price of freedom. We are bound. And so if we try to pay the price, the price of freedom, the only price of freedom is death. And here's the thing, when you die, you're not free, uh, you're dead. And so this is not a price that we can actually pay. But God, being rich in mercy, has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay the redemption price for us. And as Rachel said, he took all the sins upon his back. He took all that was evil and wrong in this world upon his back, even your sins and my sins, and he paid the price for them as he died on the cross for you. He has purchased you out of slavery into his freedom. He has made you his own, St. Peter writes, not with gold or silver, but with his own holy and precious blood. Paul says, God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So think about this. Christ has freed you from these slave drivers. You are freed from the tyranny of sin because Christ has taken away your sins and you are forgiven for your sins because he bled and died for them. Sin is not your master anymore. Christ has set you free from death because he has conquered the grave and risen again. And in your baptism, he has promised you eternal life so that even though you die, you will live. And you are freed from the tyranny of the devil. Because Christ has crushed his head on the cross. Satan is no longer your Lord, Jesus. And all of this Jesus gives to you as a gift for free by grace. All for you for free by grace. He's done it all for you. Notice this then, that in, our cre in creation, God is the giver. And also in our redemption, God is the giver. Who gives us the good gifts of forgiveness, life, and self uh, salvation. Freedom. All through his redeeming work. Christ graciously gives to us. So then, what does this have to do at all with our Rooted and Growing Stewardship campaign? What does this have to do with the stewardship campaign? And actually, I think that's the wrong question to ask. Because it makes it sound like we would be preaching the gospel here, the redemption we have in Jesus Christ, in service to the stewardship campaign. 
And so the stewardship campaign is the main thing, and the gospel simply serves the stewardship campaign. And that would be the wrong way to view things. That would be like us thinking, maybe we should invite Jesus to church sometime so he can give something to us too. Wouldn't that be nice? That's, that's backwards. It's entirely mixed up. It works the other way around. It's not, what does the gospel have to do with the stewardship campaign? The question is, what does the stewardship campaign have to do with the preaching of the gospel? What does it have to do with the redeeming work of Jesus Christ? Because after all, when we do a stewardship campaign, and as we talk about this rooted and growing campaign, we're, we're talking about things that don't sound a whole lot like they're part of the gospel. We're talking about buildings and building funds, and we're talking about money and raising money. So how can you tie these things together? Well, let's just let's think about it first. What is the money we are raising? What does it go to? Well, it goes to the building. And what is the function of the building here in Escondido? What is the function of the building in San Marcos? Well, these buildings exist so that we have a place where we can gather to hear the redeeming work of Jesus Christ for us. These congregations are places that we gather so that we can be sort of lights with the gospel in this world of darkness and sin. They're sort of outposts for the kingdom of God in this sinful, dark world. So that we have a place to hear and receive the good news of our forgiveness, our life, and salvation. They're, they're lighthouses proclaiming redemption to the dark world around us. This, this language of, of darkness and light saturates the scriptures. And, and Paul tells us that in uh, our redemption, we have been redeemed from the domain, the tyranny, the dominion of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of light, where Christ reigns. Paul sounds very much like John from John chapter 3 today, and he sounds very much like Jesus when he's talking about the world that he has come to save, how Christ has come to bring light into this dark world. I love how Paul got at this in his temple talk, and we hear it all the time in John 3, 16. It's, it's this verse that we simply love. John writes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the message that our congregations are here to preach. And it's this message that we love to hear. We love to hear this good news that our Father has sent His Son to us to be the gift of a Savior. And this Savior is not only our gift, He is the one who gives us all the gifts of life and salvation. Our congregations exist to proclaim this good news. Because the world needs to hear it. The world is, is dying in darkness. It's shrouded in sin. In fact, this is the next thing John says as we think about Jesus coming into the world. Think about the nature of the world he came into. He writes, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, comes into a world filled with darkness and unbelief, a world full of sin, hostile towards the God who created us in love and who gives us life and breath. A world that, as John says, is condemned already because it loves darkness rather than the light. 
The world that loves the very thing that is killing it. This dark world is the place where death reigns. This dark world is filled with danger and sin and evil. And people are in dangerous positions because they dwell in the dark. They need the light of Christ's redemption. It is very dangerous to navigate your way around in the dark. I learned this in a very painful way about a week and a half ago when I decided it was a really good idea for me not to turn the lights on in my house as I was walking from my kitchen to the bedroom, thinking, I know the way there, what could possibly go wrong? And I was thinking that as I went headlong, quite literally, into the doorframe of my bedroom. Many of you saw this. Many of you talked to me about the big red mark that was on my head last week. Um, it wasn't something I could hide. I looked like Mikhail Gorbachev. And if I didn't look like Mikhail Gorbachev, I sounded like him when I was yelling that I was going to tear down that wall. You get that? That was pretty good. Um, <laughs> come on, Paul, you like that. You, you, did, you liked it the first time I told you. It was pretty good. Darkness, it's, it's dangerous in the dark. And it's actually, it's no laughing matter here. It doesn't lead to just like physical pain. The darkness in our world leads to death. Evil takes place there. And it thinks it goes unnoticed until Jesus breaks into the darkness and exposes the evil, exposes sinners in their rebellious ways, and then calls them back to his mercy for life and forgiveness and salvation. But we cannot avoid the fact that when the light comes, it does expose the darkness. It does expose the sin. And guys, everywhere we look, we see sin. Sin is saturating the world. For us now, this, this dark sinfulness, it's something we celebrate in our culture. It's something we laugh at. Sin and darkness is our entertainment in the evenings on television. We have politicians who are running on platforms of sin, promoting sin. Vote for me so that you can sin. I saw this this last week. I don't know if you guys saw this billboard uh, that has been put up by a local politician inviting people to come to California because here they can get free abortions or abortions on demand. Come to our state for abortions. And what was the tagline for this billboard? Mark 12, 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is dark. That is evil. I know some of you are thinking, no politics in the pulpit. Fine. That's not politics. That's blasphemy. And it's sin disguising itself as an angel of light. It's a celebration of the darkness. That's why we need the light of the gospel in Escondido in San Marcos. Why we need our congregations to be proclaiming the redemption of Jesus Christ in this dark world. Because we live in a world that celebrates and exalts sin but Christ comes not to celebrate sin, but to set us free from it, to show us love and compassion. We want to talk about that particular issue. The church exists as a light in the darkness so mothers who are in a crisis pregnancy situation can come to a congregation where they will hear that they are loved, they are forgiven, and then be surrounded by like 16 grandmas who are going to help out with that child. Grandpas are going to help raise the kids. People who are going to take those two under their wings and help them thrive and grow. This is, a, this is a place where that's not the only issue we know of sin in the world. There's sin everywhere in the world. 
And the only hope people have is not us shutting off the lights and hunkering down and just thinking only about ourselves, but going forth announcing that they have hope in Jesus Christ who forgives, who redeems, who sets free. The church then becomes the light in this dark place. Think of this. We were just in Arizona this past week. My wife and I, we were in, in a beautiful Tucson, Arizona. And we saw uh, storms every afternoon. I don't know if you've ever seen a storm here in California. I heard we had thunder uh, this past week. But these were like black, dark cloud storms. It was dark and ominous in the distance, if you've ever seen this. But sometimes you'll see a storm like that. And have you ever seen it where the light breaks through the clouds? Have you ever seen this? It's beautiful. This darkness and suddenly like just this beam of light seemingly out of heaven comes down and it's this glorious thing to see. When the church is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, when the church is proclaiming the redemption of Jesus, that's what we are. Light breaking in through the darkness. Christ coming into this world through our words and our preaching. Our activities as a church. So people know this is a place they can come to for hope and healing. Every time you come here and hear the gospel, every time you eat the body and you drink the blood of Jesus Christ, you are once again finding refuge in the light from the darkness. But then, of course, we take that with us. To switch our light metaphors here for a moment, it's like we come to a great, warm, glorious bonfire. And we all bring our little candles with us. And we light our candles in the fire. And then we go back out to our homes, to our jobs, to our communities, to our kids, to our grandkids, to our families. And we bring that light of Jesus with us. So that every time you speak of the gospel of Jesus, every time you tell someone about the love of God and the forgiveness of their sins, the light of Jesus' love is pouring out of your mouth into the darkness. And bringing hope and healing to a world that needs to hear. You are turning on the lights. You are preventing people from walking into the walls. <laughs> That's why we need these places of gathering. Because we need a place to gather around the light of God's word. With our fellow saints in light. Again, as Paul says, Christ has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For no matter how dark it is out there, the light of Christ yet shines upon you in this place. The light of Christ sh yet shines forth from San Marcos. Is there and here we get this wonderful news, this proclamation that is for you this morning, this announcement. Jesus Christ is your Redeemer. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. We pray. Almighty Father, we give you great thanks for the light that you have chosen to shine forth from our congregation. We pray, God, that you would continue to bless us here so that we know and always have confidence in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ for us. Now continue, Lord, to allow this place to be a place where we can come for healing and hope. The world can come for healing and hope. We might hear of our forgiveness and our love in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.